Welcome to Surgical Readings from SRGS, a podcast brought to you by the American College of Surgeons. I'm your host, Dr. Rick Green, and in this series, we will talk to the editors and experts featured in Selected Readings in General Surgery, a publication that highlights highly relevant and practice-changing information from the world's most prominent medical journals. As busy professionals, we don't always have time to read the most current studies. The goal of this podcast is to bring that information to you, providing key takeaways, insights, and perspectives from leading authorities in all surgical specialties and multidisciplinary areas that affect the surgical patient. The opinions expressed in this podcast are those of the participants and not necessarily that of the American College of Surgeons. Well, I'd like to welcome you to this uh, segment of Surgical Readings from SRGS, and we're delighted to have uh, back again with us Dr. Germa Tefera. Dr. Tefera, as you know, is the Professor of Surgery at the University of Wisconsin in Madison. He's Chief of the Division of Vascular Surgery at that institution. He also is the Director of Operation Giving Back of the American College of Surgeons, and he is an Associate Editor of Selected Readings in General Surgery. Guillermo, welcome. Thank you, Dr. Green. Thank you. Pleasure to be here. Happy New Year. Well, we're delighted to have you back with us. We're going to talk about very interesting things, of course, that are important to uh, not only vascular surgeons, but general surgeons. And uh, Guillermo, we're, we're going to sort of talk about two different issues. We're going to talk about varicose vein disease, uh, mostly of the saphenous system. And then we'll talk about the complications of that disease process. So uh, again, I thank you for your expertise, uh, certainly, and I've uh, very much enjoyed reading the selected readings that are out on this subject. First of all, there's been a lot of etiology discussion uh, over the years about why people develop varicose veins. Could you enlighten us? Are there any new thoughts about why a saphenous disease and saphenous varicosities occur? Yeah, no, absolutely. Absolutely. And now, uh, first of all, I think this topic is really, really well covered in the selected readings. Um, yes, it says selected readings in general surgery, but it really has a lot of the critical new publications uh, also for the vascular surgeon. So it definitely uh, is a wealth of information. So I definitely encourage um, our listeners, general surgeons, vascular surgeons, to really review this um, as it has really wealth of information. So I think from, you know, varicose veins perspective, um, you know, it, from etiology and, you know, uh, perspective, there has always been discussion around, you know, uh, valve incompetency, meaning insufficiency. That means, you know, this, this, veins are thin-walled structures, as you know, and these thin-walled structures, you know, use a mechanism of muscle contractions in the lower extremity, as well as a series of valves that they have to kind of get blood back to the heart. And, um, and so a lot of times what we see is some dysfunction of these valves. Um, in, in most of these patients, the dysfunction starts at the saphenofemoral junction, and you know, and subsequently, in, you know, involves the other components along its uh, uh, along its course, 
Um, and, and there are, you know, many different things that can be causes. Um, there is definitely some hereditary or genetic predisposition for sure, um, because we see that more commonly in, in families. People think there's more varicose vein in women, but, but it is not true. Uh, Incidence-wise, actually, it affects both genders in a similar manner. Um, there are few additional inflammatory etiologies that involve um, the valves that can subsequently lead to valve dysfunction and also the vessels of the vein itself becoming a rigid structure contributes to this etiology. So, so yeah, so it's really multifactorial kind of thing, you know, as we say, um, uh, but it, it really uh, revolves around both genetic as well as some inflammatory issues that occur in these veins. Uh, well, thank you very much for that review. Uh, I, I want to ask you uh, also about the evaluation because physical examination, of course, is important. But maybe you could talk too about the role of things that we've been using like Doppler, plethysmography. What's the role in evaluation of these patients? Yeah, no, absolutely. And these are, these are, you know, things that um, a lot of times when they come to the attention of the surgeons, there is, you know, of course, those visible, large, ropey veins, right? So you see them and you see uh, from just the first clinical assessment and evaluation perspective, just a physical exam and looking at them is going to give you an idea as to the extent um, and, and the degree of the, of the disease. However, the, the gold standard is really duplex ultrasound because it's going to give you um, both anatomic as well as some physiologic parameters that you read. And you can really map this vein out from the saphenofemoral junction all the way down. And um, that is really the gold standard and the best way, the quick way, as well as probably, I should say, economically, um, the cheaper way to assess and evaluate varicose veins. What about scoring systems? Uh, I know that uh, in the selected readings, uh, you've put a lot of good information in regarding uh, clinical staging and scoring. Uh, what should the surgeon know about uh, those systems going into treatment modalities? Yes, um, in terms of articles, you know, they can be for the most part asymptomatic. People may not have any issues. Uh, but they can also end up becoming largely visible, painful. They can end up causing some chronic skin changes uh, that may actually lead even to the development of ulcers. So there's really a various degrees of manifestations, if you will. And so when we want to describe the symptoms, I think, and, and the signs, I think it's really good to use the CE a P system of classification so that things will be standardized. So C stands for you know, the clinical uh, manifestation. You know, are there visible veins? If there is no visible veins, you know, you say it like for example, C0, uh, or is it causing edema or is it getting to an ulcer? And an ulcer presentation is a C6. And then E stands for etiology. Uh, is this congenital? Is this secondary to um, some valvular disease? Is this undetermined? Or 
you know, or, or none at all. And the same way with A, it's anatomic, it's superficial, is it the perforators, is it the deep veins? And the P stands for pathology, and you know, which can be the source of the problem. You know, is this reflux because of outside incompetent, or is this an obstruction upstream that's leading to this, or is this combination of both? So this you know, helps us understand the magnitude and the complexity of disease. Um, and usually, um, you know, any stage of actually varicose vein needs to be, of course, treated. But usually when you think about um, surgical interventions, you start looking at, is this above C3? You know, the C3 meaning, you know, where you start having edema. Uh, but uh, it is really important to put in perspective that the clinical stages, actually every year, there is a 20% you know, chance that you move to the higher levels. And so in general, anything above C2 is actually fair to consider surgical treatment, um, which we can talk about. Well, that was beautifully summarized and it really leads in beautifully to our discussion. You know, I remember again, uh, in my own surgical residency, uh, one of the first operations I ever did was a ligation and stripping of the saphenous vein. So I, I would ask you, where does ligation and stripping fit now in the, the modern era, let's say, of, uh, of venous management? Oh, so, so I think, I think um, um, uh, you know, when you talk about the current management, the stripping um, is actually down on the list. Uh, it is you know, in general, not naturally recommended. And in fact, um, the guidelines right now um, that are published um, indicate that the first line of treatment has to be what we call an endoluminal ablation. It's usually called, you know, used, um, uses radio frequency uh, ablation or laser ablation. It's basically, you know, creating that heat and burn to lead to um, the, the veins, you know, being traumatized or injured to a point where they clot and hopefully they thrombose and they fibrose, right? So this endoluminal ablation is the first line of treatment. You know, if that is not suitable, you know, you can really consider doing um, other modalities that include, you know, form sclerotherapy. Um, and there is also this days actually uh, a super glue that is being used uh, that is uh, cyanoacrylate glue. Um, and, and that's also a non-invasive. You know, usually if patients are not suitable for any of the two, is that's when you start considering, you know, surgery. And, you know, it's really very rare to see strippings. However, there are always some superficial, you know, truncal varicosities that need to be stabilized, but they are all very short segments. You know, you do tiny little incisions and remove them, and that's called stabilization phlebectomy, uh, which is usually added to the endoluminal ablation as well. Uh, but the stripping is really rarely done these days. Well, is there is there any information suggesting that one of these techniques that you've discussed is better or uh, uh, should be used uh, for the patient, uh, endoluminal versus laser versus some of these other techniques? Yeah, so I think the endoluminal ablation, be it the radio frequency and uh, the laser, you know, they are all, you know, 
really equally um, effective, um, both in terms of cost, uh, as well as in terms of durability and, and outcomes. Um, and clearly, you know, you can think about uh, recurrent rates of varicose veins. Um, can be higher in uh, endoluminal ablations compared to, um, say, stripping and and you know uh, surgically removing the greater saphenous vein for obvious reason. If you don't have the vein, if it is removed, there is no way it's going to occur. Um, however, when you look at you know all the uh, the rates uh, as well as you know the potential uh, benefits and disadvantages uh, of the open uh, operation. Uh, definitely the non-invasive ones, the ablation with radio frequency and laser definitely um, are more efficient and cost-effective. So, so I would say um, depends on what you're looking at, uh, but at the end of the day, the cost-effectiveness and the, the efficacy is definitely um, almost similar. Uh, and so the endoluminal ablations are the first line treatments recommended. Well, before we leave this topic, one of the things that comes up in discussion with patients is their post-op management. And, and I'm thinking about the compression after an operation or after any uh, type of treatment that you're doing. How, how long should a patient have some compression done? Yes, this is really a, a key question in any um, vein-related problem, right? So uh, as we mentioned earlier, a lot of these veins are superficial. A lot of these veins don't have thick walls. And so the value of compression is really critical. So after surgery uh, on these patients, um, the value of compression, you know, to enhance healing, as well as actually reduce recurrent rates is, is a well-documented factor. And so in general, we would recommend these patients to have you know, compressions for several months after surgery. Uh, initially, to, for it to be tolerated, uh, we may uh, apply elastic bandages, but subsequently we put them on compression socks with compressions that are graduated 20 to 30 millimeters of mercury. And, um, and um, that will also help not only alleviate some of the pain and the tension that might be present, but it will also actually help with the healing process and um, reduce actually the recurrence rates. And so for a few months, we will advise them to wear religiously these compression socks, uh, but in general, patients with varicose veins um, are recommended to have compression socks actually as much as possible. Uh, throughout their lives, because this is a condition that can re-manifest itself and cause symptoms again. And so in my practice, I usually you know, recommend them if they are going to have long trips, if they are going to be up on their feet a lot, you know, those kind of situations where you increase pressure in their lower extremities uh, will benefit from the use of compression cells. Excellent. Thank you for that. Uh, so it really leads now into our discussion of the complications of venous varicosities and the chronic venous disease. I'm wondering, uh, the patient comes in, we have the usual uh, ulceration for the medial malleolus. What's the current role of an UNA boot? Should we be using those? 
Oh yeah, absolutely, absolutely. I think you know there is clearly uh, Venus ulcers have been recognized for ages, if you will, right? And it is also you know something that affects over half a million of the American population. And so so it is a very costly disease. Uh, the management of this is as much as possible conservative with compressions, but it also requires clear attention to the veins that are diseased, if you will, uh, if we want to prevent any recurrences. And therefore, Unavut is one of the, the basic tenants, uh, but whatever compression modalities you may want to apply is going to work. And so Unavut is nothing else but one of the compression modalities that are used uh, to heal these ulcers. Uh, we know ulcers heal um, if patients are compliant, but as soon as these compressions are not worn, then the recurrence rate is really high. Uh, and so these are things that need to be really included in the education of patients who are suffering from venous stasis ulcers in general. What is your recommendation then for the direct management of the venous stasis ulcer? What should we be doing for the ulcer bed itself? Yeah. So, you know, um, ulcer management strategies are, of course, many. You know, it's, it requires, of course, compression, as we just mentioned, which is the mainstay. Um, sometimes the ulcer needs to be debrided and excised. And sometimes you, depending on the size of the ulcer, you may need skin grafting. Um, and then there are other, you know, adjunct therapies like, you know, treatment of perforating veins uh, that might be the source of the problem in which you can either ablate them surgically, minimally, or use chlorotherapy to treat. Uh, and in these days, you know, there is a lot of wound care medications and a lot of different wound care solutions, if you will, that, that are available as well. Um, and so this works together with the compression sacs. And of all the medications and uh, the wound care uh, development that is really available, the one thing that has been shown uh, to be helpful is some skin replacement products such as aplegrafts or use of ointments that have the granulocyte stimulating factors. You know, those kind of things have been shown to really improve uh, and enhance wound healing. You know, other things like the metahoning, which we apply regularly and, you know, a lot of other products have not really been superior one versus the other. But I think this is an evolving industry, if you will. And, you know, a few of these items are definitely important, but the, 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 the most critical piece is compression and an ablation of some veins uh, that might be associated with the well, dear Mary, this has been a uh, this has been a beautiful discussion, and I really appreciate uh, your reviewing this. Uh, there's a lot of information in uh, surgical readings, uh, but uh, any closing comments uh, that you want to make uh, before we end? Yeah, no, I think I think uh, I think the selective readings has a lot more detailed description, including publications. I think I would recommend people to review those 
I really do think the vein related problem is definitely a huge problem in the US, particularly with our aging population. I also think that people don't usually focus on vein related actually depressions that people go through. That can be by itself an indication for treatment. So we just need to really look at this as a, a problem that affects um, a lot of, of our population and we need to provide it to do, you know, medical care and attention. And it's an involving medical care that we have so that vascular surgeons and general surgeons should be up to date on this information. So I really strongly recommend for everyone to read the selective readings on this stuff. Well, we've been talking with Dr. Germa Professor of Surgery at the University of Wisconsin in Madison, and also Chief of the uh, Division of Vascular Surgery. Germa, it's been a pleasure to have you again on Surgical Readings. Thank you, Dr. Green, and thank you for the team. Thank you for joining us on Surgical Readings from SRGS, a podcast brought to you by the American College of Surgeons. I hope you enjoyed the episode. Please let your friends, trainees, and colleagues know about the podcast. On social media, use the hashtag SurgicalReadings. You can subscribe to Selected Readings in General Surgery at facs.org slash srgs. Options are available for individuals, institutions, and residents. I'm Dr. Rick Green. Until next time, thank you for listening and learning.